Welcome to Wiffle's Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Wiffle. The ultimate honor one can be accorded in sports is being inducted into the Hall of Fame. On September 10th, Del Harris and George Carl will be inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. I'm elated to be joined today by both George and Dell, and I'm really looking forward to you talking about their fantastic coaching careers. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Good to be with Dell. Good to be with you, Gary. Did you Same say that with sincerity? <laughs> hey, before we uh, delve into uh, the basketball topics that we're going to uh, discuss today, can you give each of you give us a brief update where you're living and what you're doing these days? George, go ahead. Well, I live most of my time in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I have grandkids in Olympia, Washington, and Wilmington, Delaware. Both my son and son-in-law are basketball coaches, so I go see them quite frequently. Wow. I'm, I'm just enjoying life, celebrating Going uh, trying to get uh, into a little bit of a documentary on ABA NBA basketball and having fun. That'd be cool. And Dell? Well, I live in Frisco, Texas, the uh, sports capital of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I work with the uh, Texas Legends in the uh, NBA Development League, have done that now since they started about 13 years ago. We we have the Rangers minor league team. We have the the uh, offices and practice site for the Cowboys. Same with the hockey stars, and we have the home field of uh, Dallas uh, Football Club Dallas Soccer. And and besides that, we have two of the top uh, gymnastic uh, uh, groups wow. in in the country. So it is a, a sports. Uh, capital and uh in texas for sure we've been here since 2000 uh i came uh with uh to the mavericks in in uh the spring of 2000 with nelly and i the kids and all i got yeah i got five kids and the uh, larry uh, the oldest is uh assistant gm with the uh, warriors and has been with them for 14 years, of course, he was with the Bucks for 20, mm-hmm. and uh, just doing great, and has a almost a fistful of rings, and uh, which is more than I have. And uh, yeah, by the way, did he give you one? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, but uh, my second is uh, Alex, and he's in uh, Omaha, and they both have uh, two children and and they both have uh doing well uh, alex as i say lives in in uh, omaha and then stan lives in houston and he's got two kids as well and uh carrie my daughter uh played at marquette she is also in houston she's a physical therapist she has three children my youngest is dominic and he does basketball, uh, teaches kids basketball skills and things in Los Angeles. Been doing that for five or six years. And uh, he's he's having a, a good time doing that. Loves these kids. He'd like to get to a higher level, but it's very difficult to do now. Yeah. And of course, George, your son uh, is coaching in the G League, correct? Yeah, he's coaching with the 76er G League team in Wilmington. And, you know, he hangs out with the 76ers when he doesn't have uh, G-League responsibilities. He had a great year last year. He went to the, he won the championship in the this, in this season and went to the finals and lost in the finals of the G-League last year. So uh, they have a really good franchise. I really like it. I think he likes it. Uh, and, uh, you know, in fact, I think he's leaving the drive back to Wilmington today or tomorrow. So he's getting ready to go back to work. He's a good coach. I can tell you, he let my son, Dominic, come to his practices and 
sit in with the coaching staff and stuff mm. when uh, he was with uh, the Los Angeles uh, Development League team where he did a great job also. He's very good. I think Caruso owes him a uh, paycheck. <laughs> Probably. Did, didn't he coach him in the G League, as I recall? Yeah, he coached Caruso. He coached Gary Payton the second. Yeah. Uh, he's had some successes. I mean, he's had – I mean, he wins a lot of games, but he also gets a lot of guys that get better and go into the league. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got to ask you guys uh, – Tell t- tell me how you were informed about your selection to the Hall of Fame, where you were at, and your reactions when you were informed that you had been selected. Go ahead, George. Well, I guess the process is, uh, uh, you know, there's a they, they they make a nomination of what about ten or fifteen people, mm-hmm. and that's the first selection that is announced to everybody, and then they tell you that you would get a phone call, I think it was on a Monday, and, uh, you know, like between 9, between like 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock, and uh, the CEO of the Hall of Fame gives you a call, and I, I've i never received a negative call, but uh, I missed the phone call and called him back. That's how lazy I was, <laughs> uh, you know. And... Uh, Fortunately, he didn't change his mind, and uh, <laughs> and it was uh, very, it was very humbling. It was very, it was uh, it was really, really. I didn't, I've always talked about it and always thought about it. My family and I have talked about it, but when it came, I can't deny that uh, I don't I don't get quiet very much, but I got quiet and I got humbled and I got. I first guy I thought of was, of course, Coach Smith and my father. And uh, ever since then, I've been just celebrating. I mean, it's been a it's a it's a great feeling. I love I loved going in with Coach Harris. I mean, I mean that day is going to be that weekend. I think is going to be very special for a lot of people that are really important to me. Bill, yeah, absolutely, uh, good call, George. Uh, George and I became friends uh, through through Nelly, really. I think way back is uh, is that about right, George? Yeah, you and Rick and Nelly were. Yeah, and Rick. My Milwaukee connection was always really good. Yeah, yeah, we 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 did good at Milwaukee, and uh, uh, George and I stayed close the whole time, even though we were battling each other out in the Western Conference later on didn't matter. We 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 hung in. We've been friends to this moment and uh, really happy to go in with him and and uh you know some uh, accolades there to uh Larry Costello too. I mean it's amazing that three X Bucks coaches are going in and then Nelly's already there. So as far as uh, answering your question uh, for me it's a little different. Uh, of course, George already won over a thousand games. He should have been in before, but you know everybody should have been in before, <laughs> other than you know yeah. Jack and Kobe and uh, Dr. J and you know the, mm-hmm. the unquestionable great ones and stuff. But anyway, I'd been nominated ten years in a row, <laughs> and uh, so really after about uh, I'd say four years ago, I told the people that were helping, you know, and sponsoring me there, just uh, advocating for me. Uh, that, listen, it's okay. You know, I've I've had so many awards and things like that that I don't want you guys to spend any more time on me. There's got to be other people that uh, you know that want you to help them. And I says, you, you do that. I mean, if it's going to happen, it'll happen. But I've got to put it out of my mind. Because uh, as George said, you talk about it when your name first comes up and then it comes up and comes up and comes up. (laughs) And uh, uh, so uh, it was a whole different feeling for me. I I really had shut it down. Uh, I thought about it when my name came out. And in one article, they had my name underlined 
I don't know why, friendly <laughs> writer, I guess, <laughs> but it was really in color, actually. And uh, I, I thought, well, maybe uh, this would be the year. It took Nellie nine years. and he Is that know, right? I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. But like George said, uh, they didn't call till the week that you would have to be at the Final Four in the NCAA to be introduced. So when it was a month away, I thought, no, nah, not going to happen. Two weeks ago, well, now, nah, you know, it's over. And then they didn't call me till Tuesday. So I was probably the last one in, George. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I didn't get any warning that they were going to call or anything. I it phone rings and and I, I'm familiar with the uh, number of the Hall of Fame because I, I got that John Bunn Award back in 2019, right. which I thought, well, that's enough. You know, that's, that's the the highest honor they give other than putting you in there. And it was John DeLiva, who's the, the uh, director of, uh, of uh, operations there. Mm-hmm. And when he says John DeLiva, I, I don't know, I don't know, he's gonna say you came close again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I I didn't have great expectations, but I was hopeful and sure enough he said, Well, you know, we need to <laughs> had about what two or three days I had to be there, right? So uh but that was great. <laughs> no problem. I didn't have a lot that I was doing. I didn't have to cancel anything. It was great. How did you feel, though? That that must have been just an unbelievable moment, you know, waiting 10 years and all of a sudden being told that, hey, it finally happened. Yeah, well, it was, uh, as George said, you know, when you, at the moment, I was just relieved. Yeah, it finally happened. <laughs> and I can quit worrying about it. <laughs> uh, and then, Later, after you process a little bit, and then when you go there and, and all, and uh, there's no doubt. I mean, it's it's a, not to diminish the other awards that George got or I got or anything. They're they're all important, but for basketball, this is it. It's like Cooperstown for the baseball and Cam for the football, so forth. Yeah. Well, how did you guys get into coaching? I'm sure you, I know both of you guys, you're exceptionally bright. You could have went into other fields and, and been successful there. What prompted you to go into coaching? George? Uh, I mean, I just, I think I started at North Carolina. I think, uh, you know, I was a scorer in high school. And when I went to Carolina, I became a point guard and, I had a lot of what they call quarterback meetings on, you know, the strategy of the game as the point guard. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I, I had back surgery my freshman year in college. And so I spent a lot of time with Coach Guthridge and Coach Lotz in the film room, just kind of studying and learning about the game. And I wasn't a big student of the game when I was a, when I came out of high school. I just love to play and score and play, and I had a lot of fun playing basketball. And then when I got hurt playing in pro ball and I was being coached by Doug Moe, uh, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the Carolina guys kind of got together and said, hey, Doug, would you bring on George? And and uh, Doug brought me on as an assistant. I think I made, made $12,000 my first year. <laughs> Uh, but you know, I, I, I just enjoy the gym. I think the one thing about me is the gym and, and the practices are really fun for me. Uh, I like watching guys get better. I like watching guys come together and build a trust and a belief in each other. I think the thing I love about the game of basketball is I think it's a great team sport. I mean, both ends of the court are played much better when you play together. And the NBA, I, I really think that Dale and I were, in a lot of ways, a part of the golden years of the NBA. 
I mean, I mean, I know that Wilt and Russell were really good early, and but you know, we we got into I got in the league just about the same time as Larry Bird and 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 Magic and Michael, and then of course the Detroit got really good and the Lakers got really good, and since then, you know, since the late late seventies, early eighties, this game has just blown up. I mean, and and to be a part of that, I think the one thing Dell will, I think, agree with is early in my career in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, there were great coaches in the NBA. I mean, guys like Bill Fitch and Dick Mata. And, I mean, and there, and there's so many great coaches. And I was intrigued by it. A lot, of, a lot because of Don Nelson. Uh, Don Nelson was a big friend of mine. He thought I was, when I was coaching in Montana, he thought I was going to be a good coach. And he mentored me through a lot of stuff. I got to know Dick Adele Harris and uh, Rick, Rick Majerus through Nelly. And all those guys have been great mentors to me. But I, I really, I love the game. I love the strategy of the game. I mean, even today, I like I, I love the idea of where is the game going? You know, is the three-point shot hurting the game or is it helping the game? I mean, there's still some questions in the NBA right now. But the game is always changing, always developing, always evolving. And the good coaches love that challenge. They enjoy what is next for the coaches of the NBA. Yep. I could say, uh, echo a lot that, that George has said, and I, I will come to one of them if I don't forget. <laughs> but uh, I started out uh, and, and I decided to go to a small college, uh, Milligan University, now Milligan College, way back then. And uh, I uh, had passed up a full scholarship to play at Butler University but in basketball and baseball, half and half. Glory uh, in baseball. Pitcher. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I pitched till I was 32. Long story on that, but who cares? Uh -huh. And uh, I went there to, to uh, Milligan, and uh, I didn't, you know, there wasn't anything like that uh, experience George had. We didn't have film and stuff. I never ever saw myself play on film. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm gonna say therefore I was really good. Uh, <laughs> you can't prove it's not true. And, uh, and I, I was uh, selected honorable mention Associated Press All American uh, uh, and was all conference six times. <laughs> how's that happen? Uh, yeah, how's well, that happen? We were in two conferences, oh. and, uh, the Smoky Mountain Athletic Conference and the Volunteer State Athletic Conference. <laughs> and, uh, and the, that was the big one with uh, East Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, Austin B, uh, Carson Newman, uh, uh, Belmont, Austin P. so were the 13 teams. And uh, when I graduated, I was going to seminary, and my principal professor called me two weeks before school was supposed to start and told me, he says, you know, Dell, I think you should work a year before you go to graduate school. And I go, okay. <laughs> you know, he said, if you agree, I already have a job for you. And uh, that's coaching uh, seventh, eighth grade boys and girls in a uh, elementary school here uh, near the college. Hmm. Well, about three or four days I'm down there. And, uh, that year uh, was, was just life-changing uh, for me and for those kids uh, in a really low-income place. And it, it, like George said, you, you know, I mean, they'd never done anything before. And we, we ended up scoring over 100 points four times, and we became known all around East Tennessee for what we were doing, six-minute quarters. And uh, so – I decided, well, I think I was supposed to coach. I'd grown up in Indiana and I, you know, where the coach was, that was like an office. It was like the mayor, like, uh, you know, the, uh, 
whatever, a congressman and this and that. I mean, a guy, a basketball coach, uh, uh, literally. Uh, it was a way of life there. So anyway, I uh, decided that's what I would do. I coached four years in high school. And I set a goal to be a small college coach. That was mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. At age 27, I we'd won a lot of games, and I became a small college coach for nine years. Where was that at? At, at Earlham, sure. Earlham College uh, in Indiana. And we had nationally ranked teams there. They never won more than 15 games in the history of the school. Huh. And uh, we uh, we averaged uh, over 20 in my last seven years. And uh, I got... They, I got offers to write a book and, uh, because I did a lot of uh, articles. Uh, I always like sharing the word uh, and uh, in the Bible and, <laughs> and uh, in basketball. And uh, I uh, uh, got called from Puerto Rico to coach in the Pro League down there. I did that seven summers, and we won three national titles in a row at the end. And uh, I was coaching against ABA and NBA guys, D1 guys, and and Tom Nasulke, uh was one of the coaches I coached against, and he said, why don't you come to Utah Stars and ABA with me to be huh. uh, assistant coach? And I was uh, came along a little, little after George. He was already playing in the league, I think, and I had a bigger uh, contract than he did. I had 15,000. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then, but what I wanted to get back to, I, I'm sorry to take too much time. I, I do tend to ramble, but uh, what George said, I, I've written it. I, I, I believe absolutely that that was the golden age of coaching and, uh, and, and uh, certainly of playing. I, that, that's well said, but I think that George and I, we were younger guys. And, and, and we had to go against some of the best coaches, almost all those guys that we had to go against, George, were already in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And that's who we had to go. You, you never got to any night off on coaching. You know, well, you know, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's a new guy. He no, it was – and I, you, you could go, George, name two or three. We don't have time, but there's about 15, something like that, of them that we coached against in the late seventies and, and in the eighties and early nineties. And that span of time, the, as George said, I mean, it, there's other factors, but besides the players uh, and, and the coaches, there was ESPN started in 79, I think it was. And in 83 Stern took over and he was a great uh, marketer. And, and, and then you had these great players and the um, players that the ABA put in really solidified the the NBA. The uh, George tell you uh, the great players that we had. I won't go over them now. I think most people knew who they are. But last thing is uh, the first game as a head coach that I coached, and I was on a one year contract for seventy thousand dollars. Hey. 79-80. First game I ever coached was in the uh, Boston Garden against Larry Bird. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I still had to go against Red Holtzman and, yeah. and all these guys that, that George uh, uh, talked about and more. So anyway, I, well said, George. Oh, last thing. I always say last thing. One more thing. <laughs> I was a follower of Dean Smith as well. We, uh, we became friends uh, in the late 60s when I, I followed him. His teams were great, and he, George was playing. And uh, I had him come up and do a clinic at the college I was coaching. And he uh, was a, a big reader, and he loved the writing of a religious writer who happened to be the head of our religion department at Earlham. His name was Elton Trueblood. He said, he said, I, I really can't. He says, my schedule is so full, but I will come if you will guarantee me uh, an audience with Elton Trueblood. Huh. That was easy to do. Elton was a great fan of sports. 
So that's how I got to know him. And I went to practice and stuff and, uh, and, and, and John Wood, and he was the other guy that I kind of, I tried to, you know, do some of the things that they were doing. You know, George, I don't think I told you this story ever, but uh, when you were named the Milwaukee Bucks head coach, I called Dean Smith to uh, talk to him because I know you guys had a great rapport. And he wasn't in, but his secretary said he would call me back the next day. And sure enough, the next day he called and he goes, hello, is this Gary? And I said, yes. And he goes, I'm Dean Smith and I'm the head basketball coach at the University of North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, I think I heard of you before. (laughs) But I mean, to me, it was like, it showed his humbleness. You know, what a great guy the guy must be. I don't, I didn't know him like you two did, but that just that one conversation really made an impact on me. He was an incredible man. He was a great coach, but I've always said that he taught men how to be men better than he taught men how to be basketball players. Mm. And I think the one of the greatest things about, you know, the Hall of Fame is a hell of an award. But being a part of the Carolina basketball family is really, really special. I think everybody that knows me is how, you know, I'm a Tar Heel. I, 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 I believe in Carolina basketball. And, and it's all because of one man. Coach Smith was, he was such a team player, but we all knew why it worked. It worked because of his leadership, his humility, his mm-hmm. intelligence and his love for the game of basketball, but also his love for the student-athlete. He really believed in the student-athlete process. I don't know if he would understand what's going on right now with NIL and all that (laughs) stuff, because he really was proud of graduating his kids. Hmm. I mean, it was, I don't know what the number, but it's in the high 90s. Wow. Like 97% of all his student-athletes have graduated, so... Uh, so I, uh, I, I'm just, I mean, I mean, I, I became, I, I, I learned the game under him, but I also learned life under him in many, many ways. Hmm. Well, I, I would imagine when you watch an NBA game today and, and you look back as to when you started your NBA careers, the game's a little different from a coaching perspective, huh? You don't have nine assistant coaches, uh, like you do, do today, do you? <laughs> And one to start with. You, who was that, by the way? Do you remember? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> My very first one was Scotty Robertson. Oh, okay. Uh, then he got the head coaching job at the Pistons the next year, and I hired uh, uh, Carol Dawson, who you know was, stayed there then the rest of his time till he retired and became general manager and everything. But he was a great assistant and a great friend. And I also had uh, Herb, uh, uh, Herb Brown, Brown uh, uh, and uh, for a time there that first year, uh, because Scotty uh, had some heart problems mm-hmm. and uh so he, he had to lay out for about a month, and I had coached against Herb in Europe when I coached in, in Europe, and uh, and we'd become friends and stuff. So he came and finished that year out. But we just had one assistant. I I was an assistant, and that's, you know, like we didn't have any. I was a scout and, <laughs> and everything, you know, sweep the floor or whatever. <laughs> George, how many co- assistants did you have when you, when you became a head coach? My first year was two. I had two assistant coaches. I had Mo McCone and and Gene Littles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I went to Golden State, I had two more. I hired older guys, named, one guy by the name of Ed Gregory and Herb Cole. But what's funny about today's game is we have all these assistant coaches and nobody ever practices anymore. <laughs> I mean, Good point. Good point. Always, why do we have all these assistants? Because uh, no one, I mean, the one thing I've always been mystified by is why we are going away from practice. Uh, I think practice is fun. And I know players and their load management and 
all the mm-hmm. physiology that we're bringing to the table. And I, I don't distrust that stuff. What I distrust is not practicing. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how a team gets better when you don't practice. So I think today's game, there's a lot of uh, – I think the, the culture of the practices and what goes on in the gym is, I think, a lot different than – when when we got into the game, and uh, I'm not saying good or bad or right or wrong, I just think uh, I think guys like to practice when they know they're getting better. I just think sometimes I'm mystified by how you know I have I have a lot of assistant coaches in the league today, and they tell me they don't go. I mean, sometimes they'll go two weeks without a practice, and I just don't know how that works. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, it's incredible. Uh, uh, that's why uh, when we were coaching, you had a, a whole offense. You had a, a, a lot of options and things like that. Uh, some teams, some of the coaches would have 40, 50, 60 plays, and they would have uh, – 40, 50, 60 plays? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I knew you and, had a lot of plays, but that's a lot of plays. <laughs> well, but you you have sets. And you yeah. you have these. You you have. We usually had five sets. You know, uh, and Nelly did. I did, and I, I, I don't know George had a bunch of stuff. And uh, you you knew that when they had adjustments that they're going to be able to make, and you can't make those kinds of adjustments. And you can't have those kinds of offenses unless you do them in practice. Now, you don't have to do everything up and down full court, which is really what, in those days, players would rather just go full court. Mm. And they'd go for however long, and they would stay after. But there wasn't anything about load management. I'll just throw out one statistic that I talk about. Well, first of all, we have have so many other people that – I got their hands uh, in in the pie now. Whereas when we started out, there would only be uh, anywhere from 12 to 15, 16 people in the entire organization other than players. You didn't have all these uh, other people uh, and and all these coaches. uh, We didn't didn't have them until Mark Cuban hired a a whole bunch of them in Dallas and, and that, caught on and so did being a billionaire and owning his team catch on. But anyway, um, like coaching against George, if there's a timeout, I knew he was going to come out with something, especially with his ball. And we always, we, we had to have a lot of defensive adjustments that we would make. We would, because everybody we coached against had four or five things that they might do on side out of bounds, end out of bounds, uh, you know, full court half uh, under your basket and so forth. You, you had to have a catalog of, of those things. And the only way you can do that is if you have enough practices. But we used to practice two a days right up until the last week of the season, for example. Wow. Yeah. And then we played, you talk about back to back, in those early years, we played back to back to back. In 8081, this is the last thing I'll say on that, but we went to the uh, my, my second year as head coach with the Rockets. We got fortunate. We were the last team to get in the playoffs. We only won 40 games, 40-42. We got in the playoffs, the last spot. Back then, there were only 12 teams that made it, and the, the division winners that got a bye. And so we played in the first round was just three games. And we drew, of course, Los Angeles because, ironically, uh, they had uh, had not won their division, even though they were defending champions. But we, we beat them. Uh, you know, we had Moses and Calvin Murphy and uh, Rudy, and we just had uh, – a, a really good bunch of players, a bunch of guys. And, um, so then we beat the Spurs in seven games. We, and they had 
won the, the division uh, and had the best record in the West, I believe. But we got them in seven games, and we won three games on their court, two games with L.A. Then we beat Kansas City with uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons, and then uh, we uh, played the Celtics. And we we took them six games. Uh, they beat us. But that year, my team had to play six times, six sets of back-to-back-to-back. Wow. And Moses averaged a little over 40 minutes a game and missed one game. Huh. But Boston, now they didn't have as many back-to-back-to-backs because we were in Houston. And in, in, when you're in the East, you have better tra- travel. here. There's a lot more teams close. Mm-hmm. They didn't have as many back-to-backs. However, of their top eight players, minutes played, everyone but one played 82 games. Wow. And we started a, with a week uh a week uh about the same time anyway in october i think a little week earlier maybe and we ended that sixth game was played on may 22nd (laughs) 82 games now there are only 12 teams in the playoffs and we didn't play uh you know everything seven games we played three seven 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 anyway that's what i got on that i I know guys like Moses and and Calvin Murphy and most of the guys that I coached uh, in those days, Rick Barry, that they didn't want to come out. Mm-hmm. What I do, I, I said, come on, coach. <laughs> I mean, uh, I said, we we got to let Charlie play. You know, <laughs> take a break. I got I got to ask you, uh, George. You brought up about three point shot. I mean, there, it, it's been incredible the number of shots that three point shots that have come in the last what 10 years or whatever but do you think the three point shot is is good for the game bad for the game you ambivalent uh, how do you how do you perceive that well i'm a i'm a, i'm an aba guy and i played in the aba i think my career was motivated by a lot of guys that were loyal to in the nba in the aba do I think the three-point shot is good for the game? Yes. I think it's been a part of the explosion of the game. The three-point shot has changed the game drastically. In the last five to ten years, it's gotten to the point where we're all saying, is it too much? And I think that's the coach's job. I mean, it's his job to tell his team what type of shots he wants. Mm-hmm. And now analytics are on the table that say the three-point shot is a great shot. Well, I, I think a great shot is one that makes the team feel good, that lifts the team. So I still believe that the layup is still the reason why you play. You try to play the game to get a, get the easiest basket, and that that's a dunk or a layup. Uh, and how do you get the most of them? I still think is more valuable than making all these threes. Uh, so basically what I'm saying is over the last two or three years, I've been kind of driven crazy by the shot selection. <laughs> you I'm a lot of people. <laughs> NBA, but maybe, I mean, you can all into college. Yeah. And college has bad shot selection. So I think it's a challenge to the coaches to figure out the balance of how how you want to play. And everybody's kind of in the fast right now. But that wasn't the case 10 years ago. So we don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. And I think coaches have a way of pushing buttons that make the game evolve in a positive way. Del, are you a fan? I'm a fan of George's. Uh, <laughs> George was always, uh, of all the people I talked to basketball, there were none better than George. And I agree with everything that he said. 
But I uh, would add this, my little, little take on it, because I started at ABA too. Uh, when the ABA began, the Indiana Pacers uh, were actually the dominant franchise. And I was, you know, that's that was my team. And I saw them play and everything all those years. And then, lo and behold, my first you know, job ABA NBA was with Utah Stars, even though it was the last year of uh, the ABA. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we knew the value of the three-point shot in those days. I mean, we had uh, the guys that could nail it, but, uh, and, and everybody did. I mean, you know, Lou Dampier, for example, is a Hall of Fame player. But there were a lot of a lot of a lot of guys won't go into that. It was just a great league. But I think that the three point shot should uh, be used uh, in context. I, I don't think that that should be your main purpose unless you're down three with five seconds or something. Uh, that shouldn't be your focus offensively. I agree with George, and that's uh, where it happens. That's good. Uh, but I like the, to, the game to be played inside out, not from the outside. But And I believe shooting is the most important fundamental of the game, even though you have to guard and all that. Nonetheless, it, no matter what, they only get anything on the scoreboard if you put the ball through the basket. So shooting is, is very important. But you have a better chance of, of getting uh, – team play, if you move that ball and can get guys, uh, that was the purpose of our offenses, were to get players in a position where they could excel, where they could do what they can do. Uh, I had, you know, well, I'll just say uh, that even the, those of us that had ABA experience when we came in the NBA, whether it's Hubie Brown, Larry Brown, George, uh, whoever, we, we knew about the three-point shot. Um, and we, uh, we were coaching in the NBA before the NBA adopted it. They didn't adopt it till 79. And uh, so, but I was fortunate enough to have spent time with, with seven centers or low post men that are hall of fame players wow so what am i going to do try to make a three-point shooter <laughs> out of moses and shack and uh, you know we worked on free throws <laughs> well, well sigma was a three-point shooter uh, who jack sigma three -point well, shooter. i was going to get to that yeah he wasn't until i let him yes three-point okay. shooter uh mm -hmm. You look at his career, you can look at basketballreference.com and look at his career and see that he wasn't a three-point shooter until uh, the end of his career. But he became the first seven-footer to shoot over 200 threes in a season. And his last two seasons that I had him that he played, uh, he shot uh, over 400 three balls. And one of those years, he made 38%. Do you know what the the, the – uh, pattern is for three-point shooting league-wise all these years, it's between 36 and 38% team. Now, forget Steph and you know, Reggie Miller or who, you know, the, the, the guys that, yeah. uh, you know, bust that. But check it out. 38%, uh, I'm pretty sure, was the, the league average this year as well. So, uh, they say the big man's dead. It's not, I, I guarantee you, if you had, uh, whether it be Wilt or uh, Kareem or Moses or uh, Shaq or whomever, these big men, you would find a spot for them. And uh, yeah, yeah, I know you got the guy at Denver that uh, Jokic, can, he can do everything, but that's okay. They'd still get him in the ball low too. It's easier to get an, easier to get a, an outside three ball if it comes from the inside because he's already facing the basket more. When it comes from the outside, you got to make the turn a, a little bit. And uh, so many of those 
come because a guy fiddles around, fiddles around, then penetrates. And with six seconds on the clock, he sees he can't get it up. And he kicks it out to some sap that catches it with three seconds on the clock. And, you know, he has to make it. So do you guys agree Steph Curry is the greatest three-point shooter you've ever seen? Or do you throw somebody else into the mix? I think Steph Curry is the best shooter off the dribble. Mm with distance than I've ever seen. Agreed. I think, there, I think there are a lot of guys who can catch and shoot with him. Okay. I mean, guys like Dell Ellis, guys like, uh, you know, Reggie, uh, Ray Allen. I mean, you have guys that can catch and shoot like Steph, but I've never seen a guy shoot off the dribble and kind of off balance from as, as far out as he's done. So does he, is he the best one I've ever seen? Yes. But for years, I didn't let anybody ever shoot a three-pointer off the dribble. It had to be catch and shoot. So the game has kind of changed. That Now we're letting bigger guys, you know, shoot off the dribble. Now we let guys step back and shoot three-point shots. And I, I still think there's got to be some type of shot selection mentality to every shot. And I think too many times when I'm watching NBA game today, I go, what the hell's that? You know, I, I get too many plays that end up in just really bad shot selection. And I think it's getting better. It'll clean its way up. But now that we have all these coaches that like to shoot 40 and 53s, there's still going to be those games where I'm going, what the hell's going on out here? <laughs> Vince Lombardi. <laughs> okay, this is this is kind of a, a touchy question. Giannis Antetokounmpo is arguably the best player in basketball, a marvelous player, but let's face it, a horrible three-point shooter. If you coached Giannis, would you let him shoot threes? I would let him do some. Uh, if uh, you know, but it should be in context. I would help determine what I, th I think a good shot is, a good time is, and sort of thing. I wouldn't take it away from him necessarily because such he's such a great penetrator. And if they knew ahead of time he's never going to take something outside, that would limit his game a little bit. And besides, he gives you so much. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I wouldn't want to take uh, that away from him. Uh, I uh, I think that uh, the players uh, need to feel that. Uh, well, you you as a coach, you you define those things to them. But they, I thought that my best players, my best offensive players, uh, if they took what I thought were three or four bad shots in a game, yeah. That's okay. I mean, I, you know, you get stuck. You think you have something. You don't. Uh, I, I don't want a, a really good player to feel like uh, he has to get, you know, wide open to take a shot. And I just trust them that now, if they start firing away in a night that they don't have it, you got to talk to him and say, hey, get yourself to the foul line, uh, you know, get inside, you know, I'll run a play for you. We'll set a pick, get you a nice little 15 foot catch and you either shoot it or, or, or create or whatever. And, uh, and last thing on that, uh, George said he, he gets upset at the, the shot selection stuff. Well, a lot of times on those timeouts, particularly late in the game, you watch the last two minutes and I always evaluated coaches Right or wrong, I evaluated them and how they handled the last two minutes. Now, they can't shoot the ball. They don't always have to make the shots. But are do they have stuff that will get the ball to players in shots in, in places where they can make shots, where they feel good within, you know, and you know who your players are. And there's always plays and options. Even if they're not the first option, you get that, that secondary shooter uh, you know, on the other side, because they may take away your first option. You, you always got to have three options, and and particularly in the last two minutes, that's that's where they're decided, and uh, I think that's where the 
you know, now too often they just say, well, get it into Jojo and let him create or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Fred, you come up and just set a, set a pick and roll and everybody else spread out. George. Oh, I would let Giannis shoot the three, but I'm, I'm, I'm similar to, to what Dale says about your best players have more responsibility. You know, Giannis would, I don't know what the number is mm -hmm. depending on the game. But I think you got to let him have some freedom to be creative from the three-point line. I don't know what his percentage is. But I, I bet in a year or two or three, it's, it's going to get better. Yeah. It, looks, it looks like he works at it. Uh, and I, I think that what Dell says is so much of the NBA comes down to fourth quarter basketball and the last two minutes basketball. So many NBA games go down. I mean, a lot of NBA games are three to five point games in the fourth quarter. And Giannis is so good there that I don't think you ever want to limit his creativity. You want to escalate his freedom to be the best player he can be. And I think right now he's, he's okay with what he's doing. I think we all want it to go in more and I think it will, but, what he does all over the court, he's a great, he's a good defender. He's a good to great defender. He makes other guys better. He can play every position on the court. I mean, he's a marvelous player. I mean, I mean, I don't know what Dell would say, but I mean, who would you take if you had the first pick in the draft right now? I think Giannis is on that list. Uh, yes, I I agree. He's, you know, you could argue, you know, two or three guys, but. Uh, particularly when you're considering age, uh, mm -hmm. you know, where they are in their career. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's a wonderful player and, and, and person. Well, I got to ask you this, you know, how fans are, you know, how sports writers are. We like to put, put together or compile our uh, dream team. You know, the five guys that you would have on that ultimate team, who would be your five? Uh, you don't have to, you know, spend a lot of time on it, but five guys that you would, you as a coach would like to put together and coach. Well, I, I don't, I don't want to deal with that question. I coached <laughs> with, and I say coached with, I'm not, I'm not saying I coached all these uh, hall of famers. Uh, most of them were hall of famers before I got there uh, in reality. Uh, these hadn't been, hadn't retired yet. But uh, I coached 15 uh, players that are in the Hall of Fame. And and George probably coached more than that or so forth. So because he coached more years than I did, but uh, as head coach. But, uh, well, I'm counting even assistant coaching. So, yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't I don't I mean, How do I choose? At the center between Moses and Shaq, and you know, uh, uh, Sigma. I mean, uh, they're just they were great in different ways. Mm -hmm. so I, I'd love to coach any of them, I don't care, <laughs> and I don't know who the best player ever is either. Well, you, that, that was my next question, but well, I can just tell you it's going to be hard to, to beat Michael, uh, you know, when all things are considered. Not just because he's from Carolina. That's right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you, I, you know, the one thing about arguing about great, the greatness of our players, the one thing that bothers me is it seems like we talk about LeBron and Michael and, and a little bit about Kobe. Why don't we talk about Magic and Bird? I, I don't understand why, like, Magic... If I if I had to pick the best Laker, I think I pick Magic. Yeah, I'm sorry, I just think I do. I mean, he came into our game in the in the late '70s and early '80s. We never saw that guy before. Maybe Dell, maybe Oscar Robinson was more like Magic. But when I saw Magic play at Michigan State, I never saw that guy before. I never saw a six nine point guard. I never saw a guy that could play every position on the on the court. And no. I just don't think he gets enough love. And Bird, if he would have stayed healthy, I think he's on that list too. 
Uh, but, you know, we always want to argue LeBron and Magic. I mean, LeBron and Michael. And sometimes Kobe gets on that list. But there's some, I mean, a guy that I love that I would put on my team tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I know Dell likes Shaq and Moses. But I think Tim Duncan yes. had an incredible <laughs> basketball career. And, and no one loves him. Man. They think he's boring. He thinks he, he's too fundamental. He doesn't do the spectacular. Well, he was the best big guy running the court I've ever seen. He's the best big guy, pick and roll guy I've ever seen. Mm. And he gets 15 rebounds a game. And then he, he he does whatever you want him to do with offensive end of the court. So, I mean, I, I just think that the greatness of our players, I think gets, it gets minimalized when we start talking about the best five. Yeah. Because there's many, many more than just the best five. Whatever it's worth, my my goat would be Kareem. And, I mean, he's the all-time scorer, leading scorer. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people are making a big deal about LeBron passing him up. Well, Kareem didn't play four years, you know, in the NBA. Played four years in college, right? I mean, would anybody come close to reaching his scoring record? You're right about that. But, see, uh, and he's got to be on the list, but there's – 25 players that deserve to be considered in the top five anyway. I, I, that's a just to throw a number out. Yeah, yeah. Because the and, – and again, I mean, I was Magic's last coach, so um, – and coached against him every year that he ever played. And, and, of course, that was Kobe's first coach. His goal was to be the best, and he came as close as you can come. Maybe he was. I, again, the – line between who the best players are is so thin. It's the same thing you have in quarterbacks, the same thing you have in golf. Who's the best ever golfer? Well, that one's a lot easier, but uh, you have to talk in that terms yeah. about equipment and stuff that players were using. And the same thing now is just it's best to maybe pick in decades or smaller areas of time, eras of time, uh, than overall, it, it, you know, a lot of those guys, like even you, you mentioned Kareem, he didn't have the advantage of so many of these th things that they have now, you know, uh, private airplanes and, and all the trainers around yeah. you that open you do this and that. And, um, even when I, I never coached a team as head coach that had a practice facility. Uh, and you know, like if I'd have had Kobe with a practice facility, he would have gotten better faster. He still made six man, uh, runner up six man of the year his second year. But having the access 24 7 to a, a, a practice uh, site makes a ton of difference now that we didn't have early. You agree with that, George? Oh, I think the practice facilities now we can we get them in the gym more. Yeah. Cause you know, they come for breakfast. There's a play area, a gaming area. Uh the the, the training and physiology is first class. Uh you get you have more of an opportunity to touch them and to get them better. You know, and the one thing about today's game, they, they do a lot of individual work, but they yes. don't do as much teamwork. And that's what I, I complained about earlier in the, in the yes. session was, we I mean, we don't have a lot of five-on-five -five basketball anymore. And, yeah, we work on our conditioning and our shooting and our our footwork and our ball handling. That's all great, and, and Dell's right. You get better faster when you have a, a gym where you know you can go any time of the day or night. Kobe would have stayed there <laughs> all night. He would have. He lived with his parents anyway. Yeah. I know he'd rather been in the gym. <laughs> wow. Say, yeah. say one thing about Kareem. I want to test your uh, trivia knowledge here. What's the most points Kareem ever scored in the game? I am not a trivia guy. <laughs> I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to say, I don't know. He probably didn't get 50, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. He, it, uh, 
George, you want to take a stab at that or not? I think you got 50. I'm, I'm saying 55. That yes, is. yes, very good. But but you know what? I always thought, because I saw Kareem when he was back at UCLA already, and I always thought that if anybody could challenge Wilt's 100-point game, it would be Kareem. And uh, I asked Phil Jackson, I asked uh, Walt Frazier, and I asked John McLaughlin, who was a teammate of Kareem's, if Kareem could have scored 100. And they all agreed, yes, that he could have. And then I ran into Kareem maybe about a year or so later, and I, I point blank asked him, I said, could you have scored 100 points if you wanted to? And he goes, sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, His team would have had to agree to get him the ball, though. I, sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> but uh, he, he claims that the only reason he never scored more than 50, whatever it was, 54, 55, was that when he talked to John Wooden when he came to UCLA, Wynn said, don't worry about numbers. It's all about winning. That's all you should care about. And he said that was his attitude going forward. So. It's the way it should be. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, uh, we'll wrap this up pretty soon. Uh, I really appreciate your time. But do you, do you guys want to put together a Mount Rushmore of NBA coaches? Who, who would be only, on Only if we can put about 40 of them up there. <laughs> I hear you, George. There's no way. I I just have a high regard for uh, so many uh, coaches, and uh, these younger coaches that are that are out there now, they they've got uh, there's there's a lot of uh, of things that uh, that they could look at and see from some of the the older coaches, probably that would help them some, but, uh, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to be focused on the threes and the analytics, but at any rate, uh, George has it right. There's just been so many really good ones. Okay. One thing I, I'd yeah. say, Gary, that today's coaches, I wish they would give more respect to the experience of being in the league. Uh, I'm not saying there's age discrimination, and I, I'm not I'm not asking for a job either. I'm just saying I always Coach Smith always kind of recommended that I have an older guy on my staff, and I had that older guy. I called him my encyclopedias, <laughs> you know. And Del Harris was one of my encyclopedias. Vance Wahlberg's one of my encyclopedias. You know, Coach Smith was one of my encyclopedias. Rick Majerus was one of my encyclopedias. I mean, I was, I loved making, you know, doing things that kind of outside the box. But these guys know so much more than I know in so many different ways. And I just, I mean, I know the pro game, but Dell coached high school, he coached college, and most of the old coaches started that way. They didn't start in the NBA. Like a lot of these guys starting in the NBA. Uh, most of the old timers, you know, they were, they coached Division three or they coached a small college along the way. And then they got their opportunity to be an NBA coach. And I just wish experience and the wisdom of, of sitting on a bench and living through good times and also the bad times of the NBA. We don't do that enough. We don't share those moments as much as we used to. Amen to that, George. Uh, definitely. Uh, we don't, a lot of, we used to call them basketball people. <laughs> you <laughs> you, uh, you came up from, you know, uh, the ranks, uh, whether it was, and usually it was some college coaching first, but uh or played, you know, and, and you knew the league and, and you knew the game. So, um, and, you know, there's something to be said for these guys that will start out as video coordinator and 10, 15 years later, they're the coach. Uh, I, I don't take that away from anybody, but uh, I think what George says is uh, exactly correct. Uh, going way back uh, before, uh, the uh, middle 70s. The game, other than Red Auerbach and 
And well, let's go back before the 70s. Uh, Red Auerbach, Red Holzman, uh, they were very organized as coaches and ran set offenses and things like that, but most people didn't. And you had a lot of the high scoring uh, games and, and yet they, they didn't shoot well because they, they uh, didn't have enough sophisticated offense to get some of them good shots. You know, they, they were shooting 35, 40% uh, if they were a pretty good player. But when uh, guys like Mata and Fitch and Fitzsimmons and, uh, oh, there's uh, about five or six of them that came in uh, in the, the early 70s, they changed the game because they added the college game uh, to the greatness of the NBA players. And uh, so uh, I think that's uh, that's something that maybe uh, younger guys wanting to come up to coach and be the best they can, they might want to study in on uh, just the game itself. Well, gentlemen, I, I just got one final question. Uh, the Hall of Fame ceremony is only a couple of weeks away. Uh, have you started your speech writing process yet or not? <laughs> and if you could tell us if you get, what you might uh, be talking about during your Hall of Fame speech. Well, I'm still working on mine because mine's too long. <laughs> How many minutes are you allotted, by the way? They want it. Well, they keep telling me they want me under 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm, I'm right now. My introduction is 10 minutes. Nah. <laughs> you know, I just want to celebrate. I just want to mention some cop people that are really, really important to me. And, you know, celebrate my great, uh, the great career I had and the fun I've had. And, you know, I, it's a it's a thank you. It's a it's a gratitude speech more than anything else. No, oh, that's fantastic, Jill. That's the key word. Uh, it's uh, a speech of gratitude. Yeah, I've already uh, had to go over mine. They're limiting me in about five or six minutes because they 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 as you can tell, I'm never lost for words. I just <laughs> I mean, well, I am. I have stumble around trying to find the next one, but I don't stop. I did uh, eight revisions uh, before I turned, I did seven before I turned one in. And then I've already gone over it on a Zoom with somebody. Yeah, <laughs> I have uh, with the NBA. Yeah. So they didn't trust me to not, you know, uh, uh, Bogart the mic, but <laughs> I, it, and I'm just like George, it's just, there were so many people to thank and uh, I don't want to leave, you know, people out. And so that's mainly uh, what it's going to be. I have one uh, parting thing to say mainly uh, about the game itself, but uh, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun ceremony. Uh, hopefully uh, people that impact your lives will all be able to attend and uh, congratulations on your award, and uh, it was well-deserved. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm, you know, so glad to share this time with George uh, uh, and and the stage when it comes. So well, I, I, I appreciate everything you've done for me and the friendship, and we're going to have fun in, in Springfield along the way. Let's go do it. <laughs> For more sports news, check back every Tuesday for our latest show. You can also follow Gary on Twitter at GaryWoofle and WooflesPressBox.com.